I'm Dr. Sarah Hales Britton. I'm Luke Patrick. And I'm Sam Siegel. And welcome to Greased Lightning, a podcast where we talk about myth and the movies and learn a little something. Hey guys. Hey yo. Hey Sarah. How's it going? Uh pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. good. Uh watched uh 1981's Clash of the Titans this morning. Yeah. Uh, which was an experience <laughs> at, at what was that like five this morning i think jesus around there, 536 yeah well the cat the cat was hungry hmm. so sarah i'm curious yeah what's your relationship with 1981's clash of the titans <laughs> uh as i as i have mentioned to you guys before i fucking love this movie um mm-hmm. it is a little bit of a hot mess both in terms of the mythology and the special effects, but I think mm-hmm. that's why I love it so much. Um, okay. I, and I think the first time I saw this was at school in like middle school, one of those days, you know, where there's just like nothing going on and everybody's showing movies. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, my science teacher was showing this. Um, science teacher. Yeah. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Okay. Arkansas Not Public one Schools, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Round of applause. Um, okay, actually, Kenna asked this, my wife, and um, maybe you can help. Did we watch this in uh, World History, AP World History? In I high school? I would not be surprised if we did. Yeah, because she said we did, and I have no recollection of it. Luke, do you happen to recall? I didn't. I thought I hadn't seen this movie before, but the minute Sarah, you said that we you watched it in school, I did have a vague memory of watching this at some point, maybe in mm. a high school setting. So I don't know. I don't have the 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 ground to stand on to call your wife a liar, Sam. She may be right. Yeah, not this time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Because you know how much you'd love to call my wife a liar. Oh, every day. Uh, every day I'm at your house just screaming it at your doors it, and windows. I got to tell you, now that you've moved down the street, it's gotten distressing how many times you burst into our home, you point directly at my wife and you scream, you liar, and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this time, uh, I don't think I don't think I get to. For sure. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I think she's on, she's on to something there. But I, yeah. I have gotten us pretty far afield. So, Sarah, it, it was middle school science class, obviously. That's, that was the first time for me. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can totally believe. I would, I would trust Kenna's memory of um, watching this in high school more than I would trust my own. Okay. Um, so yeah, I can totally believe that we watched it again um, at that point. Um, yeah, but so this this movie was also my introduction to this particular set of myths, which is kind gotcha. of a funny thing. Um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So, I guess I was gonna say, um, ask you guys. Um, we've all probably seen the movie once before. Uh, we've established. Um, did you know anything about Perseus and Andromeda though, outside of what happens in this movie? Luke, do you, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, I I did. Weirdly, because I have no memory of this movie at all, but I did. I was familiar with the myth uh, 
I'd say like way more than I expected. As we were going through it, I was like, oh yeah, and then this happens and that happens. I remember this stuff. Um, I have, I guess I got it through osmosis. Like I have no idea where this information came from, but it exists in my skull. So I don't know. Uh, yeah. What about you, Sam? So, um, I too have no recollection of this movie if I did watch it in high school. Um, and so to give you an idea of kind of where I was coming from with Perseus and Andromeda, when the movie started, I was like, okay, so there's going to be the whole Medusa thing, but when, when does he go through the, the labyrinth with the Minotaur? When does that happen? (laughs) And so I was... I was kind of waiting for a while for that. And I was like, I don't think that's, I don't think this is the same thing. Yeah, that's the wrong um, ES guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you'd think since I read about it in Edith Hamilton's mythology, I'd remember, but I'm, I am an idiot. So I didn't. Uh, so, so I knew like half of it, I All guess, right. sort of. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Well, there's um, there's a lot going on in in this myth. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like little side bits, and then uh, because this movie is sort of like just mashing up various things from different um, aspects of myth, there's also just like a lot going on in this movie. Um, spoiler alert! Next time we're going to be talking about a lot of the same stories. So I thought today we'll get the broad strokes, um, and mm-hmm. I'll give you the main story. Um, and we'll sort of like gesture to those other things that come up. But I think we'll save some details for next time. Um, okay. If that works for you guys. Hell yeah. yeah. Hey, you awesome. know more than we do. <laughs> uh, the last seven years of my life, I would I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since uh, I thought there was a minotaur in this. Yeah, uh, it, would, it would be a bad sign if you were like, "No, Sam, you're you're the guy on this." Yeah, yeah, maybe not, maybe not a minotaur today. So, uh, <laughs> so Percy is an Andromeda. Um, there are a couple different versions of this uh, in. Um, in the in writings of the ancient Greeks, um, mm-hmm. in mythology texts. Uh, so one of them is Ovid, again. Um, he writes about Perseus and Andromeda in book four of the Metamorphoses, which is uh, the book that we were talking about last time. Um, this guy Hesiod also writes about Perseus and Andromeda. Um, Hesiod is a poet from the like late 7th, early 6th, century BCE. So he's around roughly the same time as Homer or whoever, you know, the various Homers. Um, Mm -hmm. But he's way more annoying. Uh, He has this (laughs) poem called the Theogony, which means the generations of the gods. So he's writing about the beginning, the creation of the world, and then all how the gods have like reproduced since then. And Perseus is the son of Zeus, right? So he comes into that. Um, and then there's also this uh, sort of mystery man named Apollodorus. Um, it's probably a pen name. We don't know anything about the guy. Um, and so the official scholarly way to refer to him is uh, Pseudo Apollodorus, because we don't really know mm, if that's okay. his real name. Um, but whoever he was, uh, he wrote this work called um, the Bibliotheca, which means the library. And it's a compendium of various Greek myths and heroic legends. 
um, written sometime in the first couple of centuries CE. So those are all the places okay. where this story comes from. Um, and I think to start, we got to start the same place the movie does, uh, with the birth of Perseus. So we're in Argos, which is a city in Greece, uh, and it's ruled by King Acrisius. And he gets this prophecy that the child of his daughter, Danae, will kill him. So he's terrified of his daughter having a kid. So he locks her mm -hmm. in this bronze tower or, or chamber of some kind. He locks her up so that no one can get at her and impregnate her. Uh, mm, the okay. problem is, of course, that she's very beautiful and uh, Zeus can still see her. Uh, so <laughs> Zeus, uh, number one Randy man uh, in the universe, transforms himself into a shower of gold. And yes, this does get translated as golden shower. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, you love to hear that. I can't tell you how many old translations I've read of golden shower and it being like really sexy. Do they it's just, I mean, do we know that that's not like their scene though with those old translations that they're like, no, that's what I'm about. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Part of me would love to know. And part of me really does not want to. I love classics and water sports, <laughs> and that's me. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's what Zeus does. Um, that's how he gets into the chamber um, that Danae is being held in um, and impregnates okay. her. And she gives birth to Perseus. Um, and so since he's half divine, half human, he's a demigod. Um, right. Acrisius, obviously is furious that his plan has not worked uh, and he really doesn't want to die. So he locks Danae and Perseus in a chest and throws them out in the sea, assuming that they will drown. Um, of course, they don't. Um, so I had a question about this. Yeah. Was that like a... Was that a thing that the Greeks did? Or was that just like Acrisius's idiosyncratic way of sort of indirectly executing someone um it's a little bit of both um as far as i know like throwing people in the sea is mm -hmm. like that's all him uh okay. but trying to kill people without actually killing them is a thing like this is why infants okay. were exposed um if you had a baby that you didn't want or you couldn't provide for, or whatever the circumstances were, right? You would, ex it was called exposing the baby. You take it out to, um, like, just somewhere outside of town, like a deserted area, and you just leave the baby there. And so you're sort of leaving it up to chance whether somebody comes along and finds the baby and raises it, or if it dies. Um, so, like, you're not directly murdering your own, like, baby, mm -hmm. but you're all, it's, like, out of your hands. Um, that was gotcha. a very, very common thing. Uh, but this kind of gets at something that I just love about myth, which is that uh, when there's a prophecy that somebody's going to hurt you, nobody ever does the one thing that will guarantee the prophecy not coming true, which is to just mm -hmm. kill the person who's supposed to hurt you, you know? Yeah. Like, the, the <laughs> smart thing to do would have been for Acrisius to just kill baby Perseus. Mm -hmm. And then he's, then he's safe, right? Or any other children yeah. Danae has. Um, nobody, nobody ever just kills the person who is a threat to them. Um, 
And in some cases, that's because there are like difficult feelings associated with it, like mm-hmm. with babies, right? Like Priam and Hecuba don't want to kill Paris when we talked about um, that in, in our Troy episode, right? Paris is prophesied right. to be the downfall of Troy, but he's their son. They don't want to kill him. Um, and so that's that's part of it. But uh, the main reason oftentimes not to do the obvious thing is blood pollution. So in ancient Greece, when you kill a blood relative in their like religious mindset, uh, these creatures called the Furies come and harass you and literally drive you mad until you go through purification rituals or until the dead relative is somehow avenged. Um, hmm. There's whole tragic plays written about this, right? The, um, the, um, the Oresteia is a series of plays by this guy called Aeschylus from the 5th century, and it's all about how um, Clytemnestra kills her husband Agamemnon. Their son Orestes then kills Clytemnestra in revenge for his father's death. But now he's haunted mm-hmm. by the Furies because he killed his mother. So he's got to like right. be purified and all this stuff. Um, and so this is often the reason not to um, do the clear best move <laughs> of just like mm-hmm. eliminating your threat. Um, so and this is why like he also just doesn't kill Danae before she can get pregnant. Right. Um, right. He doesn't want to do that. He would rather do the 99% of killing of locking them in mm-hmm. a chest and throwing them in the sea and then leave that last little 1% to fate. Um, gotcha. So he can he can technically say that he didn't kill them, <laughs> and he won't be punished by the Furies. <laughs> it's the Fury loophole. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. So yeah, um, and uh, as usual, when people do the ninety nine percent, but not the last one percent. Um, they survive <laughs> and it will come back to bite him in the ass. So uh, yeah, Danae and Perseus wash up on the shore of Seraphos, which is this little island. Um, if you know where the Cyclades Islands are in Greece, uh, Seraphos is sort of just to the north of that. Um, and so in other words, it's, it's basically a quick ferry ride now from Argos to this island. Um, it doesn't oh, okay. take long at all to get there now. Uh, but when you're in a trunk, with a baby, that's a really mm-hmm. fucking long way to drift. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So so they're rescued by some fishermen uh, on this island. Uh, Perseus grows up having no idea he's the son of Zeus. Everything is hunky-dory until the island king decides that he's really into Danae. And her teenage son is getting in the way of him getting with the mother, right? So, because Perseus wants to protect his mother. So the king kind of tricks Perseus uh, and sends him off on a quest to bring him the head of the Gorgon Medusa. And of course, this is meant to be basically a suicide mission, right? Perseus is never going to come back from this. Um, But it's a way for him to get rid of Perseus um, without Danae being mad at him for, like, killing Perseus or something like that. Right. So, so yeah, so Perseus is going off on this quest for the king of Seraphos to bring him this gorgon head. And it is basically impossible, but he's a son of Zeus, so he gets divine favors, right? So uh, Athena and Hermes come to his aid, and they give him a sickle, uh, which is that curved blade sword, 
Um, mm-hmm. They give him a cap of invisibility, and Hermes gives him his winged shoes so that he can fly. Okay. So Perseus is all decked out in these divine gifts. Um, he, in some versions, he has to ask the Gray Eye for directions. Um, and the Gray Eye are these three old sisters. Between the three of them, they have one eye and one tooth. And so they have to share are, these things. Are those the witches who had that, like, real mean-looking pot of chili? Yep. <laughs> okay. Man chili. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's them. That's the gray eye. Um, they are like some real ancient, real ancient divinities. Gotcha. Um, okay. They are children of some sea gods, um, and they are siblings of the divine gorgons. So Medusa is immortal, but there are some other gorgons who are divine and immortal. Oh, okay. And so the gray eye are their sisters. Um, so Perseus has to ask them for directions. They tell him where to go to, to get to the gorgons. Um he goes, he kills Medusa, cuts off her head, um, and from her head, actually, as she dies, springs Pegasus the winged horse. So Medusa's son is a winged yeah. horse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we all know that. Yeah. yeah. Normal stuff. Totally, totally normal. Totally normal. I, like, I'm pretty sure that's how horses are born now. You cut off a snake woman's head and the horse mm-hmm. tumbles out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's what happens. Um, he's got the head of Medusa in a bag um, so that he doesn't mm-hmm. accidentally petrify people or things. Right. As he's And he's got his winged shoes, so he's flying away. He's flying over Africa on his way home. Um, and uh, Ovid says, this is a fun little detail, that the drops of blood that drip from Medusa's head out of the bag land in the sand and turn into snakes which still infest Libya to this day. So, wondering why there's a lot of snakes in Africa? This is why. It's the, it's the Damn it, blood Perseus. of Medusa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but more importantly, as he's flying over Africa, he flies over Ethiopia, and he sees the princess Andromeda chained to a rock. So why is the princess Andromeda chained to a rock? It's because her mother, Cassiopeia, is very beautiful, but also very stupid. And Cassiopeia (laughs) (laughs) brags that she, herself, is more beautiful than the Nereids, who are these sea goddesses. Okay. So, these sea goddesses are offended. They complain to Poseidon. uh, And Poseidon sends a monster called Ketus to destroy the city. Uh, And so everybody in, uh, in, like, the capital of Ethiopia is freaking out. Uh, and a prophet tells the king that the only way to get rid of this monster is to sacrifice his daughter Andromeda to the monster. And the Ethiopians don't want to be eaten by a sea monster, so they force the king to go ahead and do this and sacrifice Andromeda to save the rest of us. Um, it's one life in exchange for the entire kingdom. Uh, so so that's what they're doing. So Andromeda is chained up to a, a rock uh, waiting for Ketis to come and eat her when Perseus just happens to fly over and see her. Uh, and so Perseus stays and waits till Ketus shows up and uses the Gorgon head to turn the monster to stone. And he saves Andromeda and he marries her and he takes her home to Seraphos and he uses Medusa's head to petrify the king of Seraphos who is harassing his mother. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, 
Then he gives it back to, he gives the head to Athena, and Athena puts it in the middle of her aegis, which is this, uh, like, symbol of power that she wears. Um, mm-hmm. And everything, everybody's happy. Everybody's great. Um, until eventually that we come full circle and the prophecy that Acrisius heard that his grandson would kill him, uh, Mm -hmm. that prophecy comes true. Uh, But it's completely by accident. So uh, Perseus is competing in some funeral games. And the funeral games uh, for, like, important people in ancient Greece involved a lot of the same sports that were in um, the Olympics and the Panhellenic Games, right? So uh, one of these things is a discus throw. And that's what Perseus is competing in. So he's, he throws the discus, but it goes wide um, into the spectators mm. and hits a guy in the head and kills him. <laughs> and if that's not bad enough, Perseus then finds out that that man he just killed with a discus is his grandfather, King Acrisius. <laughs> oh, shit. I know. So he's he's so ashamed of doing this. Mm-hmm. that he's, he's, like, too ashamed to inherit the throne of Argos that he's like would would get from grandpa acrisius mm-hmm. um and so he says i like i can't rule in argos because of what i've done uh i'm gonna give it to somebody else so he gives argos to his cousin and he says i'm gonna go and i'm gonna rule this city tyrans instead um if you if you look on a map uh today in a car it's like 15 minutes away so these nice. are like next door neighbor cities. He's like, I'm just gonna go over okay. here. I mean, one yeah. city over. There's no shame in that, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I may have killed my peepaw with a disc, but it, you know, I'll just go to the next town. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So he goes and he rules Tyrans. Um, he and Andromeda have a son named Perses, and Perses becomes the ancestor of the Persians. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so that's most of it. Um, there's, uh, I think we're going to save uh, other details for next time. The only other thing okay. uh, really to remember is that um, Andromeda, I just want to like briefly mention, Andromeda is like not actually Greek in the myth, right? She's a princess of Ethiopia. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's like very interesting ways that that gets portrayed in visual art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll send you guys some, some photos of uh, frescoes and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And we can talk about, uh, talk about like race and ethnicity and gender in Greek art. I think we can, we can, if we have time, we can talk about that this time or we can save it for next week. But I think we should, uh, we should, talk about the movie and see if we yeah, have time I, maybe at, definitely at some point I do want to talk about that because I have a lot of questions about like how uh, how like kind of different groups and stuff interacted because like I, I know typically like when I've learned about like this period in history it seems like everyone's very like self-contained um, and I remember in undergrad I don't even remember what class it was, but we ended up learning that, like, the Vikings did a shitload of training. Trading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and training. Like, training, too. Training and trading. Uh, and crypto. And so... <laughs> uh, and, like, again, that's not something that you, like, typically think of as far as, like, Vikings making their way all the way down to, like, you know, the Mediterranean. 
Mm-hmm. And so I would be really curious to kind of hear how cultures kind of kind of mixed. Yeah. Um, in the ancient world. Yeah. But we do also have this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Film getting in the way of education. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the American way, damn it. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, man. So, Sarah, you love this movie, yes? I do. I, I love this movie. Okay. Luke, what'd you think? Genuinely, really liked this movie. I wouldn't. Okay. I haven't. I haven't spent enough. See, we just don't know each other that well. I haven't spent enough time with it to say that I love it. Mm-hmm. Really liked yeah. it though, and I think if I watched it uh, another handful of times, would would come around to the full on L word on this movie. Okay, so you sure. would need to like take it out to dinner a few more times. I think so. I think you know. Uh, I swiped right. I th- I think it's right. I don't know. I haven't been on. Uh, (laughs) You're asking the wrong people. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I I swiped the correct correct direction on this movie. Uh, The first date went great. Uh, But yeah, I think I need a couple more visitations to really, really start to love this thing. But no, it's a phenomenal movie. uh, And I'm I'm very eager to dig into it. But Sam, what do you think since this is ostensibly or like practically the first time you've seen this movie? Yeah, basically. Um, I struggled a little bit. Mm. I hate to admit, I was... Okay. Honestly, the movie had me pretty well up until, I want to say, like, the last third. Mm. And then I feel like the pace really got slow. Because what, what had really been keeping me really locked into this was the incredible, incredible work by Ray Harryhausen on the special effects. (laughs) Holy fuck, did I love these terrible special effects that Ray... I mean, Ray just did a fucking gift for all of us. Mm -hmm. But the the back half of the movie, or the back third, I guess, is a bit slight on it. And so I just found that it started to drag, and then, like, when we get to kind of the, the final, like, conflict, I guess, there's a lot of... There's a lot of Perseus fiddling with a knot that just yeah. started to irk me. I had forgotten how long he struggles with that knot. He, f- It's like five solid like, goddamn minutes bro, of this kid just like... Uh, have uh, it a little bit you have a sword before you get there. Like, mm-hmm. Or use your fucking sword. Please, for the love of God. <laughs> I, like... I hate when I fiddle with knots. I definitely don't want to see a movie where someone does yeah. it. Yeah. So so it did I did end it with a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah. Um but the rest of it I thought was just fun. I mean it was a good time. Uh clunky, weird, mm-hmm. uh maybe anti-semitic. Um but uh but a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I I would even go so far as to describe this movie, especially now that it, you, you've sort of gone through some of the myths, Sarah, like it's almost like a fever dream of mythology. Like we're just like <laughs> bouncing from thing to yes. thing and like the special effects are bananas and yeah. everyone's everyone's being so melodramatic. It's just mm-hmm. it's beautiful. I absolutely adore it. Fever dream is an excellent way to describe this movie. <laughs> like everything yeah. about the like 
Council of the Gods and their little clay people mm-hmm. where they manipulate stuff and like Thetis doesn't belong anywhere near this story. Like she's the main goddess that gets offended in it. She's just like not supposed to be there at all. <laughs> How dare you speak ill of Dame Maggie Smith, Sarah? Oh, don't get me wrong. I I think the (laughs) cast of this movie is off the charts. And seeing, I referred to her yesterday when I was watching the movie as baby Maggie Smith. And then I realized she's like 40 in this movie. But Dear Jesus. Yeah. So baby middle-aged Maggie Smith. Yeah. uh, Pre-damehood. Maggie mm-hmm. Smith. Yeah, it's just fantastic. Lawrence Olivier is Zeus. This was like pretty late in his life. So. Mm-hmm. Hey, um so I'm going to part the kimono here a little bit. So you you posted on uh, some stories on <laughs> uh, Instagram. I did. About Lawrence Olivier and you described him as tasty. And I yes. just can we <laughs> dig into that a little? We can indeed. Yeah. So yesterday I watched I watched Clash of the Titans, like, in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. uh, where old man Laurence Olivier is Zeus, and he's great. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the evening, I watched uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca, uh, which is from 1940. Laurence Olivier is also in that movie. He's, like, in his Mm -hmm. early 30s, and he plays the main dude, Max DeWinter, in Rebecca. Mm, Okay. Um, And so it's part of it is... That like Lawrence Olivier is an, was an extremely attractive man. Uh, oh yeah, when he was uh, younger, and part of it is like just the style of like old classic Hollywood. This movie's from nineteen forty, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's a it's sort of a combination of factors, but I just spent like all of Rebecca ready to jump his bones. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's a hottie with a body i love him yeah i mean you know who could resist a young Lawrence olivier uh yeah i mean genuinely who could i feel like this isn't yeah. even a hot take like this is just yeah. common knowledge you'd, you'd yeah. have to be dead yeah <laughs> and even then yeah. I also, yeah. like, I I've, didn't realize that he was in Rebecca. I wanted to watch Rebecca because I recently read the book, and so I wanted to see the movie, and I had no okay. idea he was in it until we were starting up the movie. And it's like, what a fucking treat. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's like opening a box and discovering a young Harrison Ford inside, and you're just oh, like, cr- oh my God. Don't even yes. tease me with that. <laughs> How dare you even even float the possibility that I could open up my box of Dulce oh de Leche Cinnamon Toast Crunch and that <laughs> a young Harrison Ford could be waiting inside. Mm-hmm. I would just melt just into like, hey. a puddle right there. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'd still pour my oat milk on him. <laughs> mm, yeah. And and it'd be pretty good. It'd be pretty good. It would. Yeah. It would. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To... To pivot away from my particular <laughs> proclivities, um, what's everybody's favorite special effect in this movie? Because I, f- I feel like we got to talk about it. Oh, God. Oh, God. Hmm. Uh, okay. I have um, mine if, if you need me to buy you some time. I have, I have a, like, a charming favorite and then, like, a bad favorite. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think my, in terms of, like, bad favorite it's got to be the giant vulture 
that takes mm. spirit and drama oh, back and yeah. forth. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what? Where the fuck did that come from? Like, <laughs> I see. I was hoping you would have some some insight into what the fuck that screeching creature was. I unfortunately, I got nothing. This is part of the fever dream weirdness. I don't know why he's there. There's yeah. no Jesus. explanation. <laughs> and the sound is wretched. Oh, so mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. Uh, particularly jarring to hear first thing in the morning before the sun is up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whose fault is that, Sam? My cat. Yeah, I guess it is. I guess it is your cat yeah. that we have to blame. <laughs> yeah, huh? it is very specifically my cat's fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And then, and then your charming. Oh choice? right, my charming favorite is Boobo the owl. Mm. I ah, adore Boobo the, Boobo the Owl. I realized while I was watching it, 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 this had never occurred to me before, but this movie came out four years after Star Wars A New Hope. Yes. And I am pretty okay. sure that Ray Harryhausen just like wanted his own version of R2-D2. Yes. So he Without said, a doubt. let's make a weird mechanical hooting owl that makes beep yeah. boop noises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's but what we were saying Boobo watching this whole movie. Like, Boobo is clearly R2-D2. Like, clearly. Yeah. Down to the beep yeah. boop noises. Yeah. yeah, it's, and like, the the same gesturing, too. It's, mm-hmm. it seems like it's sort of legally compromising. <laughs> mm. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Boobo, the legally distinct owl. <laughs> 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 oh man what about you guys what's your favorite special effects Luke you got one hmm, I'm still processing so I think you should go okay. for it yeah it's um it's every time Poseidon releases the Kraken <laughs> just the the terrible green screening where he is so very clearly not underwater um and is lit totally differently and is just kind of lightly having his hair blown by a fan <laughs> to simulate being in the water it just i think the kids say these days uh, sends me mm. I, th- I think that's what it is i sound a thousand years old but <laughs> it, i fucking loved it i it just every time i was i was like ray ray you shouldn't have <laughs> yeah hmm so yeah, this one's challenging. So I think I'm going to do two as well. So okay. a, a, just a truly horrendous one and then one that I adored. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the first one, the horrendous one, is towards the end of the movie uh, when Perseus is like going towards uh, the Kraken, which I want to talk about the fact mm-hmm. that there's a Kraken in this movie. Um, yes, please. Uh, but he's he's riding Pegasus, and it's just like... These really, it's like they ran out of budget because, like, we've seen him ride the horse before and it looked pretty good, but this time it's just like you said, Sam. Also, this is pre green screen, I'm pretty sure. So it's oh, not sure. even a green screen, yeah. Um, what is it like rotoscoped? I, I think don't they rotoscoped, yeah. I think okay. they rotoscoped this stuff, so anyway, wow. pretty impressive given the lack of green screen. Um, oh hey, uh, Ray Harryhausen is a fucking sorcerer. Okay, yes. I'm looking at this in a whole new light now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but it is kind of like anytime, like in an Alfred Hitchcock movie, when they're in a car 
and they, it's clearly just like yeah. like a big roll of paper that's whipping by yep. like a big scroll type <laughs> thing. Um, that's what it looked like as he was riding Pegasus into into battle. Um, so truly awful. My other favorite is when he is uh, capturing Pegasus. And there's all these crazy special effects that clearly someone thought a lot about. Uh, and, you know, they put a ton of effort into making it look good. Then there's when he's invisible and there's just a clearly a rope on some fishing line, uh, the lasso that he's using, and it's just going through some reeds. And you're like, man, y'all didn't even <laughs> fucking try with this one. And I love that. <laughs> it, it really was like high school theater production level yes. special effect on that yeah. one. Um, yeah. I will say a close second for me um, was when the when the Kraken destroys some fucking city I don't remember which and the extras are very clearly being like rotoscoped onto the model that they flooded mm-hmm. and are like jumping yes. out of the way of nothing and it's not timed quite right <laughs> and so they'll like fall over and then the wave goes through ah man it was it was a good time it's yeah, so I have, I have yes. a question for you guys, because um, mm-hmm. I, yeah. you know, I always look this up for the the movies that we watch. Um, what do you want to guesstimate the budget was on this guy? Mm. Fuck. Hmm. Yeah, it's a thinker because because we got I, inflation involved here, and it's it's it from eighty one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I have no concept of like what a normal movie budget would be in 1981 um yeah but i'm just gonna say i would say like two million dollars okay nice based on the based on the quality of uh like the kraken in particular (laughs) yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say 10 million okay uh if you add them both together you're pretty close it was 15 million um whoa which is still like (laughs) Even adjusted, even if we doubled it, like that's not the actual inflation mm-hmm. rate, but even if we doubled it, thirty million for a movie these days is like yeah, insanely cheap, cheap. So cheap. So the fact that they did all this on fifteen million is it's pretty bonkers. I mean, I wouldn't sure, go so far yeah. as to say like this is the Sergeant Peppers of special effects, but it does do <laughs> a lot of really crazy shit for like basically five dollars. So sure. Yeah. yeah. Especially when I assume like three of those dollars went directly to Lawrence Olivier. Right. Yes. Right. For sure. Well worth it too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Okay, Sarah, I have a question. Yeah, shoot. Is there any sort of mythological basis for Calabas and the Bog of Misfit Boys? <laughs> no. <laughs> there okay. is not as far as I know, uh all of that is made up. Um, I mean, it definitely has nothing to do with Perseus and Andromeda specifically. Okay. Uh, yeah. But, like, I have never run across... And, of course, I mean, doesn't mean it doesn't exist somewhere out there. Myth is big. But I have never run across anything like this at all in any, like, actual ancient myths. Okay. <laughs> so I have no so idea means- where they came up with this shit. <laughs> So that means that someone working on the production of this was like, hey, I want a monster who looks like a caricature from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Yep. Um, (laughs) Because I got to tell you, I saw that guy the first time and I was like, 
woof, that <laughs> is not a good look. Yeah. Um, I did, I like, even in 1981, I feel like people would have been like having a sort of uh, sneaky hook nosed kind of character. Surely that wouldn't have flown even in 81. Apparently it did. I yeah. guess it did. <laughs> Almost certainly Henry Ford's favorite character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I was very perplexed by him. And then yeah. his fork hand later in the movie. Yeah. I really, I feel like there's enough going on in this myth that you don't need Calabas. Like, you don't, you don't need an like an angry ex-suitor except right. for the fact that they made Andromeda and Perseus's relationship a lot more purposeful in this movie mm. like he falls in love with her and he goes and asks for her hand um, whereas in the myth it's completely the work of chance he just happens to be flying home with the gorgon head and he looks down and sees her chained up he's like oh I'll rescue this pretty girl today um, and it's like and they get married, but like it's it's a complete accident. Um, mm, okay. And they and they make it like star-crossed lovers, basically in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, down to the fact that he sees her and is like, "You're my destiny," which is a chill way to introduce yourself to someone you're yeah. you're romantically interested in. Oh, is yeah. that bad? Yeah. I mean, they do Typically... that in Back to the Future. <laughs> I'm your mm. density. <laughs> <laughs> Um, can we talk about the Kraken yes yes please okay so Sarah you said that in the original myth there is some sort of monster and I'm sorry I've I've already forgotten the name his name is Ketus which um, as far as I know just like means sea monster Um, okay I guess I should look up the word and see if it means anything else. But yeah, um, it's it's not a kraken. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, neither is the kraken what, in the like movie. What for? So. Yeah. We're getting there. Yeah. 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 But so, do we know what Ketus looked like? Uh, yes, we do. And Ooh, okay. um, I can send you a photo hold please please and for the Ooh. folks at home we can put this in show notes um yes where did it go here we go uh this is a painting if i can get it to load for me there we go uh this is a painting uh it's a fresco from the villa of agrippa posthumus um, in Bosco Trecase at the turn of the millennium. So end of the first century BCE, um, beginning of first century CE. Um, so this is, this is in Roman times. Um, but down in the left-hand corner of this, mm-hmm. of this fresco, you'll see a sea monster who has like a very, very pretty eyes and sort of like, uh-huh. it looks like he's got feathers basically, uh, like, feathers or whiskers all over him um he's he doesn't look particularly scaly in this painting but he's got a ton of teeth can can i just say and i hope this isn't too far for this podcast that's a fuckable sea monster um (laughs) as far as sea monsters go um 
it also does not look anything like the Kraken we got. So, did the Greeks have, like, a Kraken? Is that a later sort of invention, whatever? As far as I know, Krakens are later. Okay. They have, like, giant, basically giant fish. Like this Kraken in this painting, you know. Gotcha. Oversized fish that can eat you. So, when y'all hear Kraken, what... What do you two think? Because I think, like, Big Octopus Squid Lad. Yeah. That's yeah. what I yeah. usually think, too. Not a fish man with nipples. And, yeah. and a belly button that we see a and whole a belly lot button. of for some reason. Yeah. Why does it have nipples and a belly button? Mm-hmm. And, like, abs. <laughs> yeah. It's yoked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's, it's disturbing. A, it's a jacked fish man. It's deeply disturbing. <laughs> I don't understand. And so, of course, I start wondering what's what's below that belly button. And I know that that's not what I should be thinking of while I'm watching 1981's Clash of the Titans, but you are forcing me to consider what's happening below the belly button. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think our beloved right. fish man's probably smooth like a Ken doll, if I had to guess. I, uh, but I, like we know he has a tail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We know he has a tail and we know he has nipples, which seems important to me. I don't know why I have seized upon this. Yeah. <laughs> but th- you re- you really it, have for some reason. Well, between the nipples and the belly button it sort of betrays the fish-like nature of the lad. It yeah. does. Um, it's pretty mammalian. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I got to wonder, are we working with a cloaca since he's got a big fishy tail? Does he does he have another genital situation? I just, I'm very curious. Yeah. And I wish the movie would elucidate this for me. Maybe we need um, another, we need a biopic of the Kraken. Yeah. Hold, we do, please. actually. Yeah. Oh, are you looking up... Like some sort of like furry fan fiction stuff of the Kraken. <laughs> no, I just wanted to see. I just wanted to see what the original model looks like. Um, and I got bad news, bad. Sam. It is 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 sort of like a like a fishy snake tail. Uh-huh. Uh Attached to the yoked abdomen, so there there hmm. is no surface area for anything sort of genital. Here, I, I'll send this so to you guys. He's a Ken doll Kraken. Kind of. Yeah. Here, this will make he more has, sense. He has no legs? So there's okay. no legs. Oh. Oh. No legs. Yeah. Oh, no wow. No legs on this boy. Huh. This boy just has a big tail. Now. No wonder he's angry. Yeah. yeah. However, I hate to be this guy. <laughs> Sharks yeah. have no legs, but do have a penis. <laughs> and I mean, I'm yeah. looking at this model here, and there is a wave covering up part of his lower body. <laughs> I mean, if you're de- if you're determined, Sam, we can add a penis to yeah. anything, for sure. Also, why does this model have really prominent nipples that are a different <laughs> color? They are a different color. Oh my god, they're like yeah, burnished nipples. Yes, almost like uh, the rocks, actually. Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> that is that is huh. a little disturbing. This is this is challenging me in so many ways. Does wait? 
Does he only have three arms? Um, yeah, see, I, I'm I, clear on the arm situation in the movie. Yeah. Because yeah. the model only seems to have three, but I thought he had four. I have. I only have the evidence I've submitted to the yeah. council. I do not have additional information <laughs> on the arms of the Kraken. But either way, to, to pivot away from the nipples that you're so fixated uh-huh. on, Sam. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's going to live right free in my head for a while. Yeah, we can we can all agree that this is not in fact a giant squid boy, which no. is sort of what we nope. we would expect of a kraken, sort of pirates it's of the Caribbean style. Yeah, it exactly, fish man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. also, um, I did, Luke. While you were finding the the kraken, the fish man model, I did confirm that Kitas just means a sea mo- any like generic sea monster, big fish style. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So and, yeah, we, we should just, have had some sort of just like big fish. Yeah. yeah. That would have been nice. Yeah. That would have been um, pretty good. It also would have made a little more sense, I feel like, with Poseidon. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Challenging so did Zeus stuff. actually play with dolls all day long? Is that is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean it's excellent it works for me it totally cracks me up and the like squeezing a doll into pieces to kill a man uh-huh. like yes that shit's intense it's hey it's powerful stuff I'm trying to wrangle my cat out of here oh god oh. <laughs> okay sorry um I mean uh, we got any other thoughts here um well, just a couple of things. Um, I mm-hmm. really, I really enjoy the scene where uh, Thetis inhabits her statue, like her head falls mm, off, yes. and then like the eyes yes. open and she talks. Um, I love this part because, like, this is what cult statues are for. Uh, mm. In oh, yeah. in like ancient religious thought, like the reason you put a sculpture of a god in their temple is so that like. I mean, the temple is a place for them to come and hang out if they want to. It's like mm-hmm. a vacation home for the gods. And the sculpture is so that, like, they can have a physical form if they want to in the temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love that they show Thetis. I mean, it's, like, pretty dramatic and weird with the head falling off. But I love that they show her, like, inhabiting her her statue yeah. in the temple. Because I feel like that's a piece of, like, ancient religious thought that is usually missed. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we tend to think of, I think, because of, like, uh, like Christian traditions, we tend to think of putting statues in uh, a religious space as just sort of, like, an object of devotion. Mm-hmm. But this is actually their, their main purpose, is, uh, you know, partially devotion, but mostly so that the god can come and hang out in there and, like, talk to you through the statue, if they so desire. I- <laughs> I mean, I really liked the scene. I I thought it worked super well. Yeah. Um, the effects were good, and then like the whole crowd's reaction, are like, "Ah, oh, fuck." Yeah. <laughs> uh, was it felt really like pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, just just from a layperson's point of view, of like, the head fell off your statue, and now it's quite mad. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love it. Um, I also really like. Uh, even though it's like not at all related to 
this myth with Perseus mm-hmm. and Andromeda, but I I like the the bit when Perseus first arrives in town and he finds out that the unsuccessful suitors of Andromeda are killed. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's not a thing in this particular story, but it is a thing in other myths. Mm, oh, uh, shit. So it's like kind of a cool little nod to like this is something that happened in mythology, even if it's not in this story. Um, there's a a girl named Hippodamia, which is like horse girl, basically is her name. Cracks me up. But there's a and it's the same thing again with like prophecies. Um, there's a, a prophecy that her husband will kill her father. So mm, Hippodamia's okay. father, Oinomaeus, is like terrified of Hippodamia getting married. Um, but marrying off your daughter is what you do when in this time, and especially when you're a king. So he challenges suitors to a chariot race and says, anybody who can beat me, you can marry my daughter. But if I win, you die. And he basically cheats to make sure that he always wins the chariot race and mm. then um, decapitates the suitors. And he's got like suitors' heads on pikes around his um like his hippodrome where he races chariots mm-hmm. <laughs> until this guy Pelops comes along one day and uh beats him in his own game and gets to marry Hippodamia. Mm. Um but yeah, killing killing unsuccessful suitors is a thing in myth, which I thought was nice. fun, a fun little nod. Do you think excellent I was it Oh mm-hmm. no Luke? Do you think we could introduce this to like The Bachelor or the Bachelorette? Where, like, if, instead of, like, getting into the limousine, yes, I've seen a lot of this show, getting into the limousine <laughs> at the end and they, they ferry you away, um, what if we just shot them? Or, like... <laughs> <laughs> you were unsuccessful. <laughs> Do, would oh we want to go with just shooting, though? I don't think so. I don't think that's that's cinematic enough i don't think that's got enough it feels a little anticlimactic yeah it does yeah i like i like the beheading Mm, yeah yeah i think that's a good move or there's kind of it is gruesome i mean the alternative is what they do in the movie which seems to be strap you to a pole and set a fire under it Yeah. yeah which um i don't know that that makes for good tv yeah maybe not hmm. we could do the like old roman entertainment version and like throw you in a ring with some wild beasts now we're talking we have to fight a tiger wait wait we would run into some problems with like the world wildlife uh foundation PETA the ASPCA that bitch Alaskan I see I wouldn't want to hurt animals yeah that's the thing if the animals got hurt I'd be so upset the people that's very true that's very true yeah we value yeah. the tigers too much to do that to them. Yeah. That is fair. Uh, I just ooh, really want ooh. to see Chad from The Bachelorette fight an orangutan. That would be pretty <laughs> phenomenal. Now that I would watch. Yeah. Because um, I, I don't like orangutans. So I, I'd i be perfectly fine with it, like Chad getting his face torn off by, by, <laughs> by an orangutan. As an alternative, mm-hmm. while we're sourcing the orangutan... Um, could we just tie, like, his hands and feet to two different limousines and have them drive in the opposite direction? (laughs) (laughs) 
That or oh man, put them in a chest, throw them in the sea, and then we're doing the ninety nine percent. There we uh, go. Put a GoPro in there. There we go. <laughs> Love you it. And then we could work out. This a, is what we do. Yeah, we could work out a syndication deal with Naked and Afraid, where they wash <laughs> if they do survive and wash up on an island, then we get a whole <laughs> other show out of it. Ooh, man, this is the kind of fucking synergy that Warner Brothers Discovery needs right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as as they're axing shows left, right, and center, they need this, man. That's yeah. uh, that's vertical integration, that's synergy, that's um, Six Sigma. It's all of them, you know. <laughs> I'm just thinking of every business term I know. I was going to sure. say, um, just, these are a lot of words I don't understand. <laughs> I don't either. Um, oh, man. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Was it a thing that the Greeks actually did, or is it just a myth thing? Murdering suitors. That, as far as I know, is just a myth thing. Okay. Um, it's just and then, a myth thing. <laughs> I, I actually, I did have a, a question here. Yeah. So, like, in, in a lot of these myths, they talk about how, like, somebody's, like, super beautiful or, or whatever. How different were their standards of beauty to, to like, ours? Mm, that's a good question. Um, and it is a little bit hard to answer because... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in some in some ways our standards of beauty grow out of like classical period standards of beauty. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like women are supposed to look like marble statues, um, right. and that is actually something that gets said a lot in in myth is that a woman is so beautiful that she looks like a statue. Mm, um, okay, and so this actually this sort of circles into um, what I was holding on to with um, like race and color with Andromeda um, Mm -hmm. being Ethiopian too is um, one of the uh, standards of beauty I mean you had to women needed to be like hardy enough to bear children so the whole idea of being like rail thin being beautiful was not a thing Um, Mm -hmm. but women at least in um, in ancient Greece were supposed to be they, they were pretty much kept under lock and key they were like closed up in their homes all the time for modesty's Mm -hmm. sake so like super pale skin was um an indication that you were not low class enough that as a woman you needed to go out and like have a job um Mm. that you could afford to protect Mm. your modesty by staying at home and not having men other than your family members see you so the like the the super paleness the like long flowing hair these are all like things i think that still get carried into beauty standards today at Mm -hmm. least in the west um so there is a lot of similarity um but this is an interesting thing with the way that women and men are portrayed in ancient art too um Mm -hmm. is i'm gonna send you guys a couple of images um and these are all images of perseus and andromeda so this first one is um, from a, it's a vase painting from 6th okay. century BCE. So this is pretty old. Um, and Perseus is this black figure here who he's, he's completely black. 
mm-hmm. um, and Andromeda standing next to him. She's she's dressed um, and her her outfit is red, but her skin is very clearly white, like super pale. Mm-hmm. So in ancient art, uh, men who worked outside and like had lives outside of their houses were portrayed as dark skinned and women mm-hmm. who stayed in the house were portrayed as light skinned. So okay. skin color as your race was like not their concept of ethnicity or race. It was an indication of gender and of like social status, basically. Hmm. Um, and you'll, okay. it's the same thing in this painting that I'm sending you now, which is from a villa in Pompeii. And this is also Perseus and Andromeda. And it's a little less extreme, but he is still like dark olive skin and she is super super pale white like pasty yeah. white so yeah so um the other thing is that uh in the world of myth at least in greek myth everybody is white or everybody is you know whatever color the greeks <coughs> thought of themselves as mm-hmm. until helios's son so the sun god's child mm-hmm. um crashes his dad's chariot which pulls the sun across the sky he crashes Mm -hmm. the chariot into the ground in africa and everyone who lives there is burned by the sun crashing onto their continent um Mm, so in the myth world by the time of perseus and andromeda this has already happened um so this like turns everyone in africa black according to this myth um but then we also have Ovid saying that Perseus, as he's flying over Ethiopia and he sees Andromeda change up to the rock, he almost mistakes her for a marble statue. Hmm. Right? Hmm. So yeah. I think the key, the other thing to remember here is that in the world of statues, uh, we always see them as white because that's the color of the marble. And like when they're pulled out of the ground after a couple thousand years, uh, that's what color they are. They've just, they've gone back to that color. But statues were painted in antiquity. So saying that a woman looked like a statue, if you say she looked like marble, that's one thing, right? Mm -hmm. If you're saying she just looks like a statue in terms of like her color or her race, that doesn't actually really mean anything because Mm. the statue would have been painted to look a particular way. Yeah. So, so yeah, Andromeda always shows up as like white and sort of typical Western beauty standards, you know, Mm -hmm. perfectly beautiful. Um, but this is not so much a race thing as it is a class and a gender thing um, in these gotcha. paintings. Um, there is a fun version of this, though, of like this playing with this, uh, all of these different aspects of appearance uh, and identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote my dissertation on the ancient Greek novels, which are basically like uh, if the princess bride happened in the ancient Mediterranean. That's what these novels mm-hmm. are. Um, and okay. in one of them, uh, Andromeda is an anomaly in Ethiopia. Like, everyone in Ethiopia is black. Her parents are black. The Ethiopian queen has a painting of Andromeda in her bedroom, where, because she's wealthy and a woman, in the, de- the standard gender depictions, Andromeda is white in this painting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the queen happens to look at this painting right She's having a little afternoon delight with the king. Right at the moment mm-hmm. of conception, she looks at this painting, and that image imprints on the fetus, and her baby is born white. Mm. And she's 
like terrified that she's going to be accused of adultery and that either she or her child or both will be killed. So she uh, like abandons, she um, exposes this infant, like gives it to a, a trusted friend and is like, get rid of her. Like I, you know, take her somewhere to another city and like have her adopted. Um, and like the part of the story of the novel is her, she's been raised in Greece and she's like working her way back home. And uh, oh. the way they recognize that this is their long lost daughter is they pull out the painting from the queen's bedroom and she looks exactly like the painting. She's like a perfect imprint of it. Um, and looking oh, at dang. it side by side is how they know that she's their long lost daughter. She looks exactly like Andromeda. Damn. Huh. Which That's is like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, God damn. I so- know. <laughs> You know, it. I've never really, like, thought about, like, how they conceived of, like, race and stuff. Um, and so, I don't know, like, I, I think it's part of that, like, conception, you know, that you're kind of taught where, again, like, all these civilizations are very much, like, self-contained. Mm. And that there's there's no real, like, interaction out of that. And so, so yeah, I had never really thought about that. but Yeah, it, yeah, they... they race as as your color was not an ancient idea um Mm -hmm. it was more like where you're from and what language you speak i feel like i mean i there are people who like this is their thing and this is all they study and i have Mm -hmm. like not so (laughs) here's your little caveat is take everything i say about ancient conception of race with a grain of salt (laughs) because (laughs) i haven't actually read that much about it but i do know this much uh and it and from it seems to me that like uh nationality played a much bigger role in it mm. than um i mean definitely not color so hmm. fascinating yeah. yeah yeah well thank you for that yeah mm-hmm. um do we want to leave it off here yeah any any final questions you know, I've I've got some, but you know, I can always save those for yeah. for next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's save time. them for the next round. Yeah, let's. Do We're that. gonna. Yeah, I've um, I'm holding on to some Medusa and some Gorgon stuff for next time. Ooh, uh, yes. And then there are some next time's movie introduces some other little side stories as well. So. And I'm glad you mentioned that because next week's uh, next time's movie is 2010s clash of the titans um have either of you seen it uh, i am just ashamed. out of your curiosity i am ashamed <laughs> to say that i own this movie on dvd holy shit <laughs> excellent i'm pretty sure i i'm pretty sure i bought it before i'd ever seen it that's okay. my defense <laughs> <laughs> well well i'm very much looking forward to it Especially since I've seen, since we just saw, I guess, the source material. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so, so it should be a good time. All I know is that Liam Neeson's in it. Yep. Uh, and that's it is also a great me. cast. Okay. Well, yeah. something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, until next time, folks, uh, you can find us on Facebook at Greased Lightning Podcast. That's uh, G R E E C E D. You can find us on uh, Instagram at Greased Lightning Pod. You can find us on Twitter at Greased Light. Uh, and uh, you can send us an email at GreasedLightningPod at gmail.com. 
Uh, any any final thoughts, folks? Hmm. Lawrence Olivier is a tasty, tasty in. snack. Yeah. Yeah. That, All right. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Lawrence Olivier, hottie with a body. And uh, we'll see y'all next time. <laughs>